Amen. Thank you, ladies. Let's take our Bibles tonight. Please turn to John chapter 8. We've had two reminders right at the end here to be faithful. And uh, we think about, the psalmist said, I have a goodly heritage in what we are leaving to those behind us. But the truth is, and, and that's good, and those are good things, we ought to We ought to display faithfulness in our lives. But the number one thing is, does God know us to be faithful? Does he see it in our lives? And, uh, you know, we we make a lot, well, I'm not going to speak for you. I make a lot of excuses why I can't be faithful, why I can't be here or there or serving the Lord like I ought to or whatever it might be. But the Lord knows our hearts. He knows whether or not we're faithful. In the light of his return, and why I tell you what, we were talking this morning about the, the rapture and the tribulation period, and the, you know, we mentioned the mark of the beast. So many are thinking, uh, somebody was just telling me tonight, that the family member, this is the mark of the beast. If you take this shot or whatever, and uh, you, you, come on. <laughs> you just shake your head sometimes. And the truth is, if it even starts to look like we're heading in that direction, that just means Jesus is coming. It means the rapture is imminent. It could be any time. I don't know the day or the hour, but I can sure be prepared. And I, it's my prayer that the Lord would find us faithful. And so let's look at the Word of God tonight and, and John chapter 8. And this is, I'm going to be honest, I, I don't... The message tonight, I, it was one of those things that just I got fixated on. And uh, the Lord just has been stirring my heart and wouldn't allow me to look at anything else. And, and I don't always know why that is. It's just I have uh, something else I was going to preach tonight, and I just was reading this this afternoon, and it's just stuck in my heart. And uh, so we'll, we're going to look at John chapter 8, the first 11 verses, about the woman taking an adultery and thrown at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you know, it's funny, I... If we were singing, I could sing all night. And I never lose, but as soon as I start preaching, I start getting losing my voice. I don't know. I guess maybe you're praying that way. I don't know what it is, but uh, it's just I guess a different set of chords or whatever. But man, I can sing all night, never get tired. I love to sing, and then uh, just pray for my voice during this humid summer. It gets difficult sometimes, and preached uh, rather long this morning. So, John chapter eight. Here, let me just share a little bit with you as by way of introduction. I love. The stories of the Bible. I like the Bible. I love all the Bible. But let's be honest, there are parts of the Bible that are easier to read than others. Let's be honest, right? How many of you enjoy the genealogies, right? And a lot of names there we can't even pronounce. And you're in the pew thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not preaching today. And all those funny words and funny names of people and places and things. And so some parts of the Bible, are more, I love reading about David and Goliath. I love, I love the story of Elijah on the Mount Carmel with those prophets and the great victory that God won up there. And uh, what a wonderful story. And we read those wonderful triumphs in the Old Testament. But some of the ones that are the most dear to me, the stories of the Bible that I like the best are the ones where Jesus is interacting with people. I really like those stories. And you say, why is that? Well, because the truth is, I was Lazarus, and God gave me new life. 
I was blind and deaf and dumb, and God healed me. Maybe not of those ailments, but there's been times where the great physician has touched my life. I'm sad to say that I was Peter who denied him. Oh, maybe not in word, but certainly in deed. You could not look at my life and believe that I knew Jesus. I was Judas who betrayed him. I was Barabbas who deserved to die and he took my place. I was like this woman taken in sin and Jesus forgave me. I see in the interactions of Jesus and people in the Bible myself and how the Lord Jesus Christ reached into each life and it didn't matter if they were dead, if they were sick, if they were sinful, every one of them met grace. Every one of them met with grace. I have never been, praise to, to the praise of God, I've never been in a court of law where I had to sit as the accused. I thank God for that. I do have a great accuser that accuses me night and day. Both my conscience, he bombards and he accuses me before the throne of God. But I've been in a courtroom before a few different times in support of people, teenagers and, that had made mistakes, had sinned. Uh, sometimes I saw, we soft soap and say made mistakes, they sinned. I remember sitting with a young man in a courtroom and it must have been just juvenile court that day, and teenager after teenager came through. And the judge was quite harsh. He was the letter of the law. And if they did something wrong, he would say, well, he says, this would be a good lesson for you to learn, no bail for you. And he'd send them down to the jailhouse, Barton Street. The next one would come up, and he'd say the same thing. He'd say, well... You know, you messed up. And so you're going to have to do some time for that. And I remember just case after case, and they just brought him in. And finally, the young man that I was there to kind of support, and he had been taken in by a lady in our church, and I was she, I, a senior lady, she's about 80 years old, and just brokenhearted that she had to be there. And I took her down to the courthouse and sat with her. And this young man came through, and she just started weeping when she saw that orange jumpsuit. And so they let us have a little recess between each one and where you could go over and speak to them because she had not seen him since he'd been arrested. We went over and we spoke to him and he looked at me and he said, oh man, I wish I got a different judge. He'd been listening and watching as teenager after teenager denied bail, sentenced to time, sometimes a month, two months, three months, nothing no murder cases or anything like that. But to pay the penalty for their crime, and his first thing he said when he looked at me was, I wish I had a different judge. Can I tell you tonight, we have a different kind of judge. We too should stand guilty for our sin. 
And yet every time it's met with grace. Every time, if we'll just simply confess and admit that we had done wrong, he'll forgive us. This young man in question had stolen a car, got caught stealing a car. And I thought that the, I thought that the district attorney, the crown attorney was a master in his, in his craft because he pulled out his high school transcripts. He was a smart kid. And he says, now, young man, he says, I see here. He says, wow, he says, you're on the honor roll. You do very well in school. And he went, wow, yeah, I guess. He was just kind of going through his grades. And I see you got some A's here and high A's. And you're on the honor Man, you've done well. You've won awards, achievements. He said, yeah. He says, he says, you've got a lady here that cares about you and your pastor's here. He says, you're a good-looking young man. He said that in a court of law. He says, you're a good-looking young man. He says, what I'm trying to say is you have a lot going for you. He says, let me ask you this. How many cars have you stolen? Just out of left field, I'll come to this question. Well, how, many, how many cars have you stolen? He says, what do you mean? He says, well, here's what I know. He says, even the dumbest criminals don't get caught every time. He says, I can see here you're highly intelligent. You've got a lot going for you. How many cars have you stolen? He said, maybe 20. The judge took it right away and realized that this was a repeat offender. And here's what the judge did. The judge says, I'm not a religious fuddy-duddy. That's, that was his words. I am not some religious fuddy-duddy. But he took the Bible that you could swear in on, and not everybody used it. Some just swore an oath, but some swore in on the Bible. And he put it up on his bench. He says, young man, he says, you have a dear, sweet Christian lady here that loves you. You have a pastor here that loves you. He says, you have this book. He says, here's what I've learned in all the years of sitting on this bench. He says, now, I'm not a religious guy at all. But here's what I've learned from sitting on this bench. People that read that book don't tend to end up in that seat. I nearly shouted amen in a court of law. I've heard worse preaching in Baptist churches. That was good. He confessed his sin. And the judge says, you're going to have to do some time. But because you admitted it, I'm going to show mercy. And I believe he spent a month in detention and another three months in a, what do you call it, halfway house, a boy's home kind of thing, where I could pick him up and take him to church and he could go out with with his parents or me. Mercy. I wish I had drawn a different judge. One day, millions will be cast in the lake of fire thinking that very same thing. It's not a different judge they need. What they need is an advocate named Jesus Christ who meets every situation with grace. Every time. Every single time. He comes with grace. Look at John chapter 8. 
Jesus went on the Mount of Olives and early in the morning, by the way, I, I mentioned this Wednesday night and I couldn't remember the verse. It was John chapter 8 if you were here. We are in a very busy time in the Lord Jesus' ministry. He, he's been all over the place in Galilee and now he's come down towards Israel, or, or towards, towards Jerusalem. And the Bible says in verse 8, just simply, chapter 8 verse 1, Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple. What was he doing? He was praying. When Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, that was his prayer closet. That was a place where he would meet with God and weep and plead with God about everything. That was his favorite place to pray. And so Jesus just simply says, during this busy ministry, went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees, listen to this, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stolen, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking me, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. A wonderful story of the Lord Jesus Christ showing grace once again. To a woman who was guilty according to the law, taken in the very act, they had the proof that they needed, they had the mouth of two or three witnesses as a gang of men dragged her into the temple. There was something I noticed as we were reading just a moment ago. The Bible says, and early in the morning, he came again into the temple. I'm in verse 2. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken into adultery. And when they, when they had her, set her in the midst, they said to the master, this woman was taken into adultery in the very act. Now, I'm going to tell you something. What I just read, those three verses, has never been on any flannel graph I've ever seen. When I was in Sunday school, I remember a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ standing out in an open place in the middle of a village somewhere, and, and this woman taking adultery cast at his feet, and he stoops down, he writes in the... How many of you see those, those flannel graphs? You know what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, I, I watched a program not long ago, The Chosen. You probably have seen some of those episodes about the, the life of Jesus Christ. And again, they were in a village, and she was pulled out of a home and taken... Do you know what the Bible just tells us here? This took place in the temple. A house of prayer. A place where God would meet with man. A place that's supposed to be mercy and grace. I don't know about you, but if we were to go downtown tonight into some bar, 
to some crack house? He said, oh, not in Simcoe. Oh, trust me, there's lots in Simcoe. If we could go down and we could grab somebody and pick them up and dust them off and take them down to Bethel Baptist Church, I hope the first thought they have is this, oh, good, they're taking me to church. They're taking me to a place of mercy and a place of grace, a place where Jesus is. Oh, I heard about this when I was a little boy or a little girl, and, I, and I've heard the stories of Jesus. And if this person and these people are getting me to the house of God, there must be some mercy involved here. There must be some grace. There's help that I will find there. That was not the case, was it? They dragged her into the house of God and threw her at the feet of Jesus, set her in the midst That phrase, set her in the midst, literally means they put her there on purpose so that everybody could see her and mock her and laugh at her. She was a laughing stock. This was not a secret to anybody. This was so all the world could see. The Lord Jesus Christ does not have it in his heart to hurt people. And so he shows grace. They bring to him a matter of the law. There's no doubt she was guilty. There was an undeniable guilt, and uh, they begin to be unrelenting in their questions. They say, now Moses and the law command us that such should be stoned. It's black and white. Sin deserves death. By the way, all sin deserves death. The Bible just simply says the wages of sin is death. We can't get away. Here's here's the thing. Our world today has 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 finally said we're not going to worry about. We used to be it used to be the big condemnation against churches. We don't like the condemnation. We don't like you calling men sinners. Don't use those verses. The wages of sin is death. But you know what they do today? They don't worry about that anymore. They just redefine what sin is. Well, this isn't sin. Love is love. No, it's sinful immoral behavior it's deviant oh abortion's not sin we mentioned that this morning didn't we my body my choice if you're a child of god it's not your body you are bought with a price you are the very temple of the holy spirit of god you belong to him it's not your choice and so we we look at that and and say god am i guilty and the answer is yes. We're guilty. But God also answers back with grace. And he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Do you know my son? Do you know Jesus? Yes, the wages of sin is death. But my son paid it. It's covered. We're so prideful in our society today that we don't want to admit that we're sinners. But if we would just admit we're sinners, we can be saved. We can be, have our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they bring her to Jesus and he says, the law commands us, such should be stoned. And yes, the law says, for sin we should die. But notice what Jesus did. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, and let me insert something here. I think 
If I can put it in today's vernacular, Jesus was saying, you want to talk about the law? Okay. No problem. Let he that is without sin among you cast the first stone. Let's talk about the law. Let's go there. And all was shamefaced. They arose one at a time and they left. And Jesus turns his attention to that woman. Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You might like to argue with the passage and say, well, I don't see a traditional salvation here. I don't see that she acknowledged her sin. Friends, I believe that she was dragged there, brokenhearted and in tears. Cast at the feet of Jesus, embarrassed and humiliated by all these men. And Jesus could see right to her very heart. And with grace, he reached down. He says, there's no condemnation. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. What a picture of his grace and mercy. Now, let me ask you this. This is the the part that's been bugging me all day. How do I judge others? Now, understand, Christians love pulling verses out of the Bible about judgment. Judge not, lest you be judged. Read the rest of it. Judge not, lest you be judged, but it's with the same measure. In other words, we'll be held to the same standard. It doesn't say not to judge. There's different types of judgment as well. You're going to have to make judgment on right and wrong. You're going to have to judge for yourselves what is sinful and what is right based upon your knowledge of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God that's moving in your heart and life. You're going to have to make those judgments. But I'm talking tonight about our judgment of others when they fail. How do I judge them? Do I meet it with grace? Understand, that does not necessarily mean that all discipline is thrown out the window. does not mean that. Jesus will still judge his own. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. The Bible says it's time that judgment starts at the house of God. There's times where God judges us, but it's always met with grace. And we have to learn how to balance that. How do I judge others? I was just told about a man who stood in his church I believe it was either last Sunday or a week before. I cannot remember. It's been very recent. And he confessed his sins to the church. A man that was well-respected. Laid it out. I don't know what caused it if he got caught. I don't know if he, it just his conscience overtook him, the Holy Spirit of God. He just couldn't live with it any longer. I don't know. But he made a sincere, heartfelt confession. Somebody who was at the church service told me this. Everybody sat in shock for a few minutes. Then somebody stood up and said, I forgive you. And one by one across the room, others said, we forgive you. 
There's still a marriage to mend. There's still forgiveness to be found with his children and his wife. But the church met it with grace. Oh, it doesn't mean he'll continue to be a deacon. Maybe one day, I don't know. That's up to them. He won't be teaching his Sunday school for a while, that's for sure. There's still consequences. But the church met it with grace. And I wonder, how do I judge others? Ask yourself that question. How do I judge others? You see, these Pharisees and these men that took this woman, they set out to humiliate her. Make no doubt about it, they were going to stone her. They had already pronounced her guilty. They were just using it to test Jesus. They decided she was going to die. But first they would humiliate her. Friends, let me ask you, when we set out to try to help somebody and write somebody, is it our goal to humiliate them? How do I judge others? Do we judge them with harshness? They pulled out the scrolls. Moses in the law commanded. Here's the law. But the law that they had was only written in a book. It was not written in their hearts. God said, if you really know me, I'll write my law on the fleshly tablets of your heart. They believed in the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. Even the New Testament church is taught that whenever we bring somebody into a place of discipline, it's always for restoration, to restore them, to bring them back. How do I judge others? Do I judge them with humiliation? Do I judge them harshly? Or do I judge them with a heart of forgiveness? Oh, it doesn't mean again that there's not any discipline. They're still right and wrong, amen? By the way, I, I believe wholeheartedly a church should preach against sin. I believe that. And you believe that too until I preach on your sin. I've learned that over the years. We ought to preach on sin because we're to be a holy people. But how do we love one another back to being holy? Listen, if you, if Brother Kevin were to come tonight and say, Pastor, I need help with this and I'm struggling in this area and I believe I've sinned. If all I did was drag him out here and humiliate him in front of everybody, he'd be out the door and never want to step foot in a church again. But there's an opportunity to love him back to Christ and to meet it with the same grace that Jesus did. The world is harsh. The law is harsh. But grace comes by Jesus Christ. We have to balance it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. I'm not sure how to land the plane, to be honest with you. There's just something God was stirring my heart about. Why don't we stand? Daniel's going to play. It's funny how we can judge other people until we go through a similar circumstance and we learn to have grace.
we can say, well, I don't let, believe they let their teenagers act like that until you've got teenagers that act like that. And then you go, oh, I wish I'd shown them more grace and maybe prayed for them more. How do I judge others? I'm just going to be quiet and let the Lord speak to your heart tonight. Let's just examine ourselves. Are we loving people to Jesus? Showing grace? Are we helping them? I I can't believe I never saw before that they dragged her to the temple. And maybe she thought going through those gates that maybe there's some hope. There sure was because Jesus was there. But that was not their intent at all. How do I judge?